Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 37. New Netherland. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to support the show, then one way of doing that is to sign up for our membership program. Just head over to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. In our last episode we introduced what will be a major player in the history of the United States, the United Provinces of the Netherlands. They have come up fairly frequently in our narrative for the other English colonies, but we've now established how the state was formed in its war for independence against the Spanish Habsburgs. As they were unable to gain access to Spanish ports, they were forced to more extreme trading methods, and so Dutch traders began to spread around the world, a process which resulted in the creation of the Dutch East India Company in 1602. We now turn towards Dutch trading, and specifically to Henry Hudson. Henry Hudson was one of the great explorers at the turn of the 17th century, and we know almost nothing about his early life. We suspect he was born sometime around 1565, and we cannot get more specific than England as to a location. That's it. We know nothing about the first 40 years of his life, and he emerges into the historical narrative in 1607. It seems that his family was connected with the drive towards Arctic exploration, and he probably developed an interest in this early on in his life. It might seem odd that the Dutch would turn to an Englishman interested in Arctic exploration as a solution to their trade conflict with the Spanish, but if you think about it, it sort of makes sense. The biggest problem for the Dutch traders was that the places they were trading with were really far away. Really, really far away. The world is a lot smaller today than it was 400 years ago. This is partly because of air travel, but also because of the construction of canals, in particular the Suez Canal and the Panama Canal. If you wanted to sail from the Netherlands to the Far East, you would have to sail around Europe, around Africa, and then across the Indian Ocean. That would get you to the Indies. Then there was the extra voyage north if you wanted to travel to China or Japan. What everybody was looking for was a shortcut to getting there faster, and that's how Henry Hudson enters the story. In 1607, the Muscovoy Company of London hired Hudson to find the North East Passage, a shortcut to Japan via the North Pole. Hudson was convinced that he would find an ice-free sea to the north of Russia, and he was convinced that he was the man to find it. He set sail north and made his way to the Svalbard Archipelago, a collection of islands which is about halfway between Norway and the North Pole. He explored the area, but he was unable to make his way through the ice. He was pushed back and decided to try again. 
This time, he would look for a route between Svalbard and Novaya Zemla, a large island to the north of the Ural Mountains, which was a Soviet military testing site. This, too, was a failure, as he was pushed back by ice and he returned to England in August 1608. While he was there, he was lured to Amsterdam by the Dutch East India Company, who wanted him to take another voyage to try and find the Northeast Passage. But, while he was there, he heard reports of another possible route to the Pacific, the Northwest Passage. There were two theories about where this would be. One came from John Smith, who suggested there was a route at 40 degrees north, and another came from George Weymouth, who thought that there was something at 62 degrees north. Hudson was interested in these theories, but he had a job to do for the Dutch East India Company. He told them he would set sail in 1609 for the North East Passage, but if he was forced back, he would return to Amsterdam, and then they could maybe look at the Northwest Passage. He set sail in April 1609, heading northeast, but was soon pushed back by heavy winds, and then immediately changed his mind about returning to Amsterdam, and simply turned his ship west. He decided to investigate the claims made by John Smith, and so travelled to the 40th parallel north. What he found was a river which had been originally discovered by the Europeans almost a century before, which he named the Mauritius, after Prince Maurice, the future Prince of Orange. However, this name would not stick, and it is instead named after Henry himself, the Hudson. Hudson sailed up the Hudson for a good hundred miles to the site which would become Albany, before concluding that, despite Smith's theories, this river did not lead to the Pacific. He bought some furs, beginning Dutch trade in the region, and then sailed back to England, where he was ordered to cease and desist, exploring for other nations. He sent his log on to the Netherlands, and the Dutch became increasingly interested in the region. But before we move on to further Dutch action in the region, I'd just like to finish off telling the story of Henry Hudson. He would make one more journey trying to find the Northwest Passage, this time using the information collected by Weymouth and sailing to the 62nd parallel north, where he did indeed find an inlet to a great body of water, which was also named after him. I'm of course talking about Hudson Bay. Hudson sailed around, reaching James Bay, which is the southerly point of the Hudson. When he realised this, he became rather frustrated. The situation on board the ship got out of hand, and there was a mutiny in 1611, in which Hudson was kicked off the ship, never to be heard from again. This would form the basis of English claims to Canada, but we're not talking about that just yet. We must stick with the Dutch. Following this initial exploration, Dutch ships sailed to the Hudson River for trade purposes almost every year, and then, in 1614, 
Adriana Block sailed with the intention of also doing some exploring. He journeyed along the Long Island Sound, and it is likely that he also travelled into the Connecticut Valley. This exploration was very successful, and a group of merchants in Amsterdam put together something known as the New Netherland Company, which gave them a patent to send out four trade missions in three years. They constructed a fort on the Hudson near the modern site of Albany, but when the patent expired in 1618, the fort was abandoned, and others were free to trade in the area. While the New Netherland Company wouldn't play much of a role in history, it would be succeeded by a wider group of merchants, who were very ambitious in their colonial efforts. It is in this context that the Dutch tried to settle the Pilgrims as a Dutch colony, but as you'll recall, this didn't work out. Instead, what was created in 1621 by the Estates General was the Dutch West India Company. And play a role in world history, the Dutch West India Company most certainly would. While the New Netherland Company was based in Amsterdam, the setup of the Dutch West India Company was national. There were regional groups which were all part of the company throughout the Netherlands, each with its own board of directors which sent delegates to a council of 19 in Amsterdam, 18 sent by the regional councils and one sent by the Estates General. This council was the governing apparatus of the Dutch West India Company and had substantial powers. It had a monopoly of all commercial activities along the American coast and in the Atlantic south of the Tropic of Cancer. It could create laws, administer justice, raise and maintain armies, make war and treaties with foreign powers, all by itself. This is something completely different to the companies we've dealt with so far and was effectively a state in its own right, which happens to be located in Dutch territory. What did it intend to do with these powers? It had three main interests. One, establishing colonies in the New World. Two, trade with North American Indians. Three, make war on the Spanish. We'll deal with the latter of these first by turning southwards towards the Caribbean. There is a raid against Bahia, a Portuguese port which was launched in late 1623, and the settlement was captured in 1624, giving the Dutch a great deal of plundered profit. This was a very productive start, although they were pushed out by the resurgent Spanish in 1625. However, while this was going on, the Dutch West India Company began to make their move on the North American continent. They sent out a colonising expedition, which was led by Cornelius Jacobson May, and, while it was funded by the Dutch, the population was mostly made up of French-speaking Protestants from the area of the Low Countries which would become Belgium. This first colony was very different to the English colonies, which had focused on founding individual settlements. Jamestown was the focus of Virginia, and then the Pilgrims focused on the settlement of Plymouth. The Dutch did not want to follow this plan, they had their own ideas. 
The Dutch were primarily interested in the fur trade, and so they were interested in setting up a multitude of settlements right from the off. They initially landed on Manhattan Island, but soon divided into a number of small groups and set up settlements around the region. One group constructed Fort Nassau in the Delaware Valley, another was created on the Connecticut. But these were only secondary. The two important settlements were founded on the Hudson. A group of colonists travelled up the Hudson, where they settled at a site known as Fort Orange, which would become Albany. A group of the settlers decided to not leave the mouth of the Hudson, and settled at what is now known as Governor's Island. The settlement was a brilliant strategic and commercial location, and soon became the heart of the colony. More ships and colonists arrived, and it was realised that Governor's Island was too small, meaning that in 1625, a permanent fort was constructed at the southern tip of Manhattan Island, Fort Amsterdam, at the current site of the Alexander Hamilton US Customs House. This is the foundation of New York City. Within the original Fort Amsterdam was the office of the Dutch West India Company, in addition to a church, a market, a barracks, and the governor's residence. Settlers built farms outside the fort, and the settlement spread along the East River. During the first few years of the colony, the governor, Peter Minuit, would secure land for the colony by buying Manhattan Island. The price for the island was goods worth 60 guilders, but there is no agreement about what this converts to. I've seen figures suggested estimating $100 and $15,000, and many other figures in between. The structure of this colony was quite different compared to the English colonies. In theory, all settlers were the servants of the Dutch West India Company, rather than shareholders. They were told where they had to live, and had to work for the company for six years. This was in exchange for the company paying for their transport, and the land they were given in the New World. They were also given tools and supplies for two years, and only had to begin to pay off this once their land began to make profit. Internal trade was allowed, but all goods for export had to be sold to the company, and small industry was forbidden to protect the company's monopoly. The governor had absolute control, and required total obedience. It was expected that the settlers be Calvinist, and that they actively try to convert the indigenous population. However, the colony actually had a very Dutch religious toleration, and it was law that nobody be persecuted for religious beliefs, something so unlike the English colonies which were springing up around Massachusetts Bay. This is all we're going to cover this week, but next time out, we're going to continue to look at the activities of the Dutch West India Company. This will involve looking at the creation of New Holland when the Dutch invaded Brazil, the further development of New Netherland, and the arrival of yet another group of Europeans, 
as New Sweden was founded on the Delaware River. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then please remember to visit us online. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. That is the place to go if you want to sign up for membership. You can follow me on Twitter, at HistoryJamie, like the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.